I, you know, I read a bunch of Conan stories. I've got like a. You, did you forget how bad they were? They're not good. <laughs> we should build Conan. They're also like weirdly racist. Uh, well, I think it's less weird because it's like the 30s. Coliseum in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 83 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about battles to the death in the arena. But first, we introduce the real party in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later the heathen champion fights for the old gods in the character creation forge. So we've still got our t-shirts for sale. I don't know why I said still. Like, we're always going to have t-shirts They're for sale. They're always for sale, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take us any effort to keep them up. But you should buy them because uh, it doesn't take any effort either. Huh? Nope, just 14 to $20. Depending on your size, Depending color, on how, style. How lucky you are at the time you want to purchase one and whether T Public is running a sale. Oh, I yeah. see. So they occasionally go on sale for 14 bucks, but they're normally 20 and we've sold like a handful, like a solid handful. I can fit a, only a few t-shirts in my hand, so that's a I think you're correct. You're correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh we also have an unearthed arcana to discuss before we get started with the rest of the show. The last of the class series that Wizards was releasing on a supposedly weekly basis that kind of gets stretched out towards the tail end, but this is the Warlock and Wizard edition. Mm-hmm. Hey, a good one. I, Maybe a little too good. Well, they doubled down. They, this whole series has just been them trying to figure out a Gish character, right? Yeah. <laughs> like every single release, it feels like if you can cast spells, you're a Gish. Uh-huh. The Hexblade is the Warlock version. Think they kind of found a happy medium. I think so, and I'm happy to see the Hexblade back. You know, it was uh, a class in 3.5. Uh, was also in fourth edition. I was sort of surprised that we didn't get anything named Hexblade uh, earlier in 5th edition, yeah. uh, but now here we go. Yeah, Pact of the Blade seemed like it was trying to be a Hexblade. But yeah, it, was... it basically was, that's what everyone Thought. expected that it, it was, yeah. right? Now I guess they're rolling out the old name so that this is basically an, an attempt to kind of rewrite it, rewrite Pact of the Blade, honestly. It's solid. Yeah, expanded spells like Shield, hey... Yeah, I know. Like the most basic spell. Right. <laughs> uh, you also get all the smite spells, which I think is cool because they're a nice way to boost your damage that actually don't make as much sense for the paladin because the paladin's core smite is usually better. Yeah. It does seem like they're just sort of saying, hey, you cast magic spells and hit things with the sword. Have mm. some smite spells. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Somebody should use them. <laughs> Uh, the Hexblade is technically a patron because your patron is your weapon. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. If you're the type who always looks for the next best weapon, I feel like that would be a little awkward. Yeah, I think as a GM, you really need to sort of work in the like weapons of legacy, intelligent item, variant rules that don't actually exist right now. Yeah, the, the story convention, if you will. Yeah, level up uh, your sword. Uh, King Arthur doesn't throw away Excalibur yeah, like, exactly. when he levels up. I mean, I think a lot of people do that anyway, so it's not a huge leap, but it is something that should kind of be talked about. Yeah. So you also get a curse, which does some 
pretty sweet things. You get a bonus to damage equal to your proficiency bonus. You crit on a 19 to 20, and when the curse target dies, you get a bunch of hit points back. Uh, however, you can only use it on one creature per short or long rest, at least to begin with. Yeah, I think at level 14 you can do it twice. The level 6 ability, I think, is pretty sweet. Shadowhound, it, you split off part of your shadow and it can glom onto another creature and then you're better able to track them and you have an easier time hitting them behind cover. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's super strong, and that's fine. Yeah, but super flavorful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you get Armor of Hexes at 10th level, which just gives you a chance to avoid an attack if it would otherwise hit your AC. Yeah, 50%. Yeah, it's basically like a partial mirror image. Mm -hmm. Then the other patron that we get is the Raven Queen. Remember her from 4th edition? She was actually really popular because she was the deity of death and cold. And she wasn't evil. She was decidedly neutral, hated undead, and just really wanted to make sure that the afterlife was stable. You know, that like things weren't awful. (laughs) She didn't want to like, punish you with torture as soon as you showed up but you know dead things got to stay dead <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah so it was kind of interesting being a paladin or a cleric of the raving queen because you'd kind of need to be like i don't know uh, was it your time because if it was i don't think i can raise you from the dead yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the gm could always be like i guess i'm the raven queen for right now let me think about whether you should come back to life <laughs> this one gets a raven as basically a super expanded familiar and then at sixth level you can turn into your raven sort of a modified form of beast form so this is i think kind of amazing because you turn into the raven you maintain almost all of your statistics you know you become tiny uh, and you can fly and you you can't do a whole lot of actions right dash disengage dodge help hide search however there's no limit on how long you can stay in raven form or how often you can change between raven form and human form. So you've just always got this scouting form that you can use anytime. Yeah, as a bonus action as well. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty sweet. I don't feel like it's overpowered because, it, like I said, you can't do that much with it. But man, just having it in your backpack at all the time, it's great. Then at 10th level, you gain advantage on death saving throws and then immunity to frightened and resistance to necrotic damage, which whatever <laughs> you know like that's kind of counter flavorful if you ask me i think dead things should die if they worship the raven queen or if they're tied to the raven queen but fine well she's in charge of it so you're not afraid of it and you know she helps you out with it i don't know i think it's a package that works well together uh, yeah it's i don't think it's going to be super useful but whatever at 14th level you can cast finger of death once per long rest Eh. a yeah. spell once per day yeah, yeah it's fine and then we get a boatload of eldritch invocations and this is the very first time that we have seen any new invocations yeah what's cool about these is they have a lot of proper nouns in their titles so they're more like tied to an individual patron so they have prerequisites around what your patron is or what your pact is adding another layer of complexity but then they introduce thematic elements that would be tied to an actual individual patron rather than just sort of the more generic invocations that are in the PHP. Mm-hmm. These pretty much run the gamut in terms of usefulness because there's so many of them. I do have a concern that if this is kind of going in the direction of 4th edition's feats where 
you have a very small benefit from a feature. So like for example, you can take chilling hex, which lets uh, your hex blade deal extra damage to every creature around the one that they have hexed. Or you can take burning hex, which lets you deal extra damage to the one you have hexed. Those are two different invocations that do basically the exactly the same thing. But if like you want to do both of them, you have to spend two invocations. And it's such such like a strange difference to make when it's just a an elemental damage type difference and uh like that one or the ones around it i i feel like it's a, it's just a bit too granular yeah i that's fine i i think that's a fair criticism though doing it that way also limits the power creep because in a lot of ways these are just better than what's available i was just gonna so. say uh some of these are straight up old invocations but with extra stuff yeah <laughs> and, and i mean specifically like the packed weapon improvements mm-hmm. i think like now you can add enhancement bonuses uh, you know plus ones plus twos plus threes to your packed weapon that sort of stuff is is just better than it used to be there's also ways to add a bow to packed of the blade there's <laughs> one of them kiss of mephistopheles i think lets you cast a fireball on the target that you hit with your eldritch blast so that's a good day for that guy yeah. <laughs> but either way much much better than cast a level two spell once per day oh yeah those are pretty much garbage out of the php um i'm hesitant to like go through all of these just because this seems very much like the regular unearthed arcana uh tradition which is throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks sticks. exactly like i'm looking at cloak of beelzebul that's that's a complicated way of saying beelzebub it gives you an aura of poison damage equal to your charisma modifier Mm -hmm. all the time yep that's amazing (laughs) well i mean as long as you don't have a party (laughs) (laughs) but you can turn on and off at will again as long as you're not near your party (laughs) isn't that the knock we put on the uh asimar (laughs) i'm just saying auto damage yeah uh, the asimar too (laughs) (laughs) all right we also get a new arcane tradition for the wizard. Oh, you mean the only arcane tradition you'll ever need again? Yeah. I don't know why this exists. Like, the point of generalist wizards is they are jacks of all trades, and the specialists who each are tied to a particular school are so much better at that one thing. This one's better at everything. At everything, yep. Yep. So, this is the lore master tradition, um, which. Right off the bat, I know you're going to love this, gives you double proficiency bonus for any arcana, history, nature, or religion skill. Oh. Four expertises right off the bat. I, it, they keep coming. Uh, yeah. Also, you can use intelligence for initiative instead of dexterity. Yep. Then you'll also... <laughs> it's, it's just crazy how much this gets. Uh, you can alter spells as you cast them. So if you do a certain type of elemental damage you can convert it to another type didn't you have to get a feat before in order to do that that used to be a meta magic thing yeah. yeah and then once per short rest you can change the ability targeted by a saving throw i which, think these are these are cool abilities yeah but just super strong yeah absolutely i mean it, it and it doesn't specify that it needs to be between like 
a mental ability score between mental ability scores or between physical right you can yeah you just change it to everyone's bad one exactly yeah figure out their stat and (laughs) then nuke it right so that's that's great um and then at level six you get alchemical casting which lets you use multiple spell slots to add additional effects to a spell that you've cast it gives you wizard meta magic yeah uh in a much stronger way than the sorcerer gets Mm -hmm. Uh, because the sorcerer effectively has the same thing it just costs a whole lot more because spell points the conversion is level yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so for a first level spell slot spent you can add 2d10 force damage to every target damaged by the spell which that makes for quite the fireball Mm -hmm. uh and is certainly more efficient use of your spell slots than casting a higher level fireball oh yeah right i mean yeah absolutely Uh, or if you expend an additional second level slot you can increase the spell's range oh that that sounds nice increase the spell's range up to a mile yeah if it's at least 30 feet it becomes one mile that's that's insane there's also a lot of spells that don't require a place you can see yeah within range Uh which means if you know it exists within a mile you can hit it very strange I don't understand. And then the one of this that I like that I think is fair is a third level slot can increase the save DC by two. I think, yeah, I think that's perfectly fine. It might be a little too strong at high levels because the third slot isn't oh, really it's much worth when less, you get yeah. really high. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think for most players, that's going to be just fine. But man, that first level and second level are just nuts. Yeah, I if I had spent resources to get to the point where I could have like a 1600 foot Eldritch Blast, yeah. I would be yeah (laughs) so let's say that the balance for all of this is that you're a wizard so you have to prepare your spells (laughs) what are you gonna do ishan i'm gonna keep adventuring to get to level 10 so that i don't have to do that anymore yeah as a bonus action which wizards have no use for naturally you can replace one spell you've prepared for another spell you know boom okay this is this is one of the reasons that wizards were so broken in three five is you weren't really tied to what you prepared right you swap things out or like i prepare scroll ahead of time or i cast from my staff yep so congratulations it's back and we'll double down on that at 14th level oh yeah (laughs) because now as a bonus action you can call to mind and and thus prepare one spell from any spell list there must be a restriction on the level of the spell, right? Uh, did I say there was a restriction? You didn't. Did I stutter? <laughs> uh, not at all, which worries me. Right. Okay, this is just the any spell spell from 3rd mm-hmm. edition, which was the other reason that wizards were so broken. Yeah, that's... I mean, so it still costs you a spell slot, but it counts as a wizard spell, so it's not tied to any other ability. It's just... I, I mean, man okay we get it wizards win again great Mm -hmm. quadratic af yeah it's ridiculous why spend 17 levels as a caster in another class so you can get that ninth level capstone spell when this wizard can just steal it Mm -hmm. they should call this the spell thief (laughs) also you know what's really nice about that is you get it at 14th level but you can steal any spell for which you have slots. Mm-hmm. So you can multi-class without losing spell access. Yeah, it's a nice capstone. It's insane. Yeah. So 
no, please don't Wizards of the Coast. This is bad. Yeah, this vote is this very down. bad. Vote now. Vote early. Vote often. But oh my god, please stop this from ever getting published. This is Bloodhunter bad. Oh, oh yeah. It'll make the character creation forge much easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all start with 14 levels of lore master. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it makes me feel so dumb for taking a whole level of cleric in our in the Morning Glory campaign. Right. Just, just to get that those silly expertises, expertises. In, yeah. in something you can't pick at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You need that 13 wisdom. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to something that's maybe a bit more positive. Actually, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Dark Heresy 2nd Edition Rogue Trader game that we have been playing with our home group. Uh, we finished recapping the Morning Glory campaign, our Eberron campaign. Uh, that was from episode 0 to 73, so you can check that out in the backlog. But in Dynasty Unwarranted, we're done with a prologue. What? Yep. Our, really? Our one-shot prologue that took four, four and a half yeah. sessions, <laughs> I found out. So we are on to character creation for our actual characters. All right. One of the things I love about Dark Heresy 2nd Edition is that you pretty much have to have a session zero because you roll up your characters. So, like, you don't know what you're going to bring to the table. Well, you can roll up your characters, and we certainly do. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's, like, it's way more fun to have <laughs> random numbers. <laughs> I'm not usually a fan of, like, rolled stats, but the wackiness that is 40K sort of requires it. And we even roll for names. Oh, yeah. So we didn't uh, even pick our names or our nicknames. We go by nicknames. We all have call signs because yeah. the names are so great. All right. So what's the party? So first we have Doc. That's D-O-K-K. Doc. He is a heretic, which means he is a tech priest, one of the uh, imperial agents responsible for uh, pleasing the Omnissiah, the machine spirits, uh, and keeping technology running in the 41st millennium. Uh, but he's a heretic, which means he doesn't really follow the rules. Yeah, he's a heretical scientist. Mm -hmm. That's great. He hails from a research station. Mm -hmm. He has dedicated himself to rediscovering, but really creating the scientific method in order to gene splice Xenos with humans. Are the players at the table know this? The other characters in the party don't, at least not at first. Yeah, I think he's beginning to be suspect. Yeah, well, I mean, he, people keep dying in the infirmary. Yeah. <laughs> then they're missing limbs. It's getting it's getting to be a little weird. I uh, maybe we should uh, ask the doctor about this. Yeah. <laughs> so on the uh, on the rogue trader vessel that you're all crewing, the his enduring light. He is the explorator, which means his role is to seek out and find technology to recover and integrate into the ship. Mm -hmm. And Doc is played by Cameron, who mm -hmm. was Bastion in the Morning Glory campaign. Correct. And well, some similarities there. <laughs> who I'm not entirely sure understands that the scientific method doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and he definitely leads the party in corruption. Oh, yeah. Because I keep giving it to him every time he tries to science. Yeah, and he won't stop. Nope. No, pretty soon. Warp demon. Yep. It's coming. So then we have Trank who is an assassin from the Garden World Feralis, 
who was discharged from the Imperial Navy for being uh, too addicted to combat drugs. Yeah, they're delicious. Also, that's why his name is Trank. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He serves as the His Enduring Lights arch militant. And Trank is played by me. And then his good old buddy (laughs) from the Imperial Navy, Draco, is a desperado from a frontier world who was discharged from the Imperial Navy at the same time because he was dealing the aforementioned combat drugs. Look, it was a completely consensual transaction. I don't really understand you why. You guys are running a drug ring. A, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what I like is that we randomly rolled these names, and I got the name Trank, yep. which is a combat drug yep. in the game. Like, you can buy it off the shelf. Mm-hmm. And so we had to come up with a reason, like, why is my name Trank? Yep. <laughs> and then we also, like, we both ended up being Imperial Navy. So, of course, it was, maybe we were in the Navy together. Maybe I did a bunch of drugs. Why aren't we in the Navy anymore? Well, I probably did a bunch of drugs. Where did I get that? Oh, you probably gave me the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this works. And this is why we are on this backwater rogue trader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and he is also the His Enduring Lights arch militant. Yeah. Two arch militants. Trank is in control of shipboard activities. He's head of security. And Draco is in charge of away missions. And since, you know, we spend 95% of our time on the ship, I'm the one in charge, really. And since he says that the 5% of the time you spend off the ship is where you make all of your money, he's in charge. Yeah, but he's completely wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Draco is played by Jim, who played... Calic in the Morning Glory campaign. Next up, we have Ventium Magnus the Third, but we all just call him Flair because he has a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> and no eyes. Also, well, one eye. Yeah, ugh. he has a warp eye. Oh, creepy eye in the center of his forehead. He is a mystic from the very same garden world as Trank, actually. Feralis. Yeah, our moms know each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the black sheep of the Magnus Astropathic dynasty, so a, a, a long-standing family of astropaths. Uh, and astropaths are uh, like telepathic communicators and uh, navigators of the warp in the Warhammer 40k setting. So not many people are allowed to use psychic powers. He is sanctioned by the Imperium to use his. Yeah, because it's necessary in order to transmit messages over long distances and to plot courses through the warp so that ships can actually travel faster than light and and not get eaten by demons on the way <laughs> oh yeah that too <laughs> but he was foreshadowing assigned... yeah <laughs> <laughs> he was assigned to the his enduring light because uh like i mentioned he is the black sheep and so is the captain of the his enduring light elias lionheart so being assigned the astropath of course, Flair went and recruited his good old buddy from home, Trank, mm-hmm. who had a friend who also needed a job, Draco. Yep. And they all find themselves aboard the ship in leadership positions, no less. <laughs> and Flair serves as the navigator, though I guess now there's kind of some question as to how much navigating he's doing and how much his... Assistants are doing. Yeah, his various yeah. assistants and attendants, because he is nobility like actual nobility he's just the lowest cast of nobility in his family right we also had to figure out a way that like why would he actually come on away with missions with us yeah why would he ever leave the ship (laughs) right (laughs) well he's also the only psyker which is handy (laughs) and 
Flair is played by Angelo, who played Bahar in the Morning Glory campaign. Then we have Trix. So Trix is a hierophant from a feudal world, which means he's a member of the Ministorum. He's a, a priest, basically, mm-hmm. who uses the implicit power of his position to manipulate the masses. Yeah, he's not a very nice person. No, no. <laughs> he's probably the second most heretical of the group. <laughs> but he actually serves as the seneschal to Captain Lionheart on the His Enduring Light because he's quite persuasive at keeping the crew in line. Yeah. How, how did he get in that position? Did we ever figure that out i think that's one of the mysteries that he's Mm. kind of left up in the air right um but yeah it doesn't make sense how he got there (laughs) (laughs) except for the hierophant's mechanical like in-game ability to succeed in a charm test i i mean honestly he probably got voted right uh he just cheated the vote Mm -hmm. vote for me (laughs) yeah (laughs) or the emperor will eat your soul (laughs) and that is played by relatively new member of the group, Brian, who didn't play in Morning Glory because he hadn't joined. No, he joined after Morning Glory. Mm-hmm. But I guess he's been playing with us for like a year now, so yeah. not, not even that new. I mean, <laughs> Morning Glory ended a long time ago at this point. Which means that <laughs> there are people in the world who can tolerate us for that long. Ooh, very few. Even if we're playing games. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, we have Echo, the seeker from a hive world. Uh, Seeker is an investigator. Yeah. Yeah, She obsessively documents and studies in order to enrich her own wealth of knowledge. So she serves as his Enduring Light's void master. She's the quartermaster. She keeps track of the cargo. And she's the chief bookkeeper. And she is also the lowest fellowship character of the group. She's the worst talker. Oh, By a mile. Mm -hmm. She's just the nerd in the background. Though I keep finding ways to force her into the foreground, which has been lots of fun. Yeah. She's great at dinner parties. <laughs> and Echo is played by Steph, who was Emery in the Morning Glory campaign. And so we will find out what happens in the first session of the true Dynasty Unwarranted campaign next week. So this week, we're talking about arena battles. This also came from a listener suggestion. It's a common trope of fantasy stories. You know, the PCs are captured and then have to fight for their freedom. It happens a lot in superhero fiction, too. Like, there's a powerful entity that kidnaps heroes from across the world or the galaxy, and they must fight to the death to prove their worth. Yeah, it's also the plot of Hunger Games. They were great books for teenage girls. I actually totally forgot about the Hunger Games. Whoops. Which is fine, actually, because all of this is still applicable if you want to play a Hunger Games game, mm-hmm. but you probably don't. No. No. You should play the Japanese derivative. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry, the Japanese, Battle Royale. The Japanese source <laughs> that Suzanne Collins definitely didn't steal this from. <laughs> Divergent Evolution. That's a different series. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why use an arena battle? Oh, well, obviously, it's to slake the bloodlust of your party. It is one way to make sure you get combat in that session. Yeah. You're not going to talk your way out of this one. (laughs) And, like, we've talked before about, you know, buck kickers and power gamers. Like, if you don't give them an outlet, they will find an outlet. Mm -hmm. And they will wreck your negotiation or something. Yep. So, sometimes, like, a session full of arena battles or an arc in which 
you have the players fighting in the arena for a particular reason is a nice way to just give them the opportunity to really let off some steam. Because arena sessions are combat heavy by design. That's what they're there for. And the characters can go all out with their abilities while being confident that there's a really good chance that they're going to be able to rest or heal up or regain their abilities uh, as soon as this battle is over. Yeah, it also gives you a way to introduce PvP without having to really break your story, right? You don't have to violate the social contract in order to really test characters against each other. Right. I think it's rare that you have an entire group where everyone is like, yeah pvp like you know player like character on character combat that sounds really interesting and fun usually it's one or two people Mm -hmm. you know so this is a good opportunity to be like no no it's it's fine here in fact you have to or you're all going to be killed right (laughs) (laughs) it's also for a gm an opportunity to introduce really any kind of challenge or like crazy monster that you can think of if you want your party to fight a pride of displacer beasts Great, go for it. They're there. Yeah. Like they got captured. What's down in that hole? I don't know, man. Fucking Rancor. <laughs> <laughs> Fight a big scary monster now. I don't <laughs> care. Do you want the floor of the arena to be dug up and filled with water and then there's Viking longboats and sea serpents and like that's the battle? Great, do it. Oh, that actually sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's why the Romans did it. Yeah. <laughs> It's a really great way to fit in monsters without having to come up a, with a reason for why you met this monster and did we roll appropriately on the table to see if they live in this part of the world. And why is this monster still hanging out in this one locked room at the bottom of a dungeon with no food? Yeah, why is there a sphinx? <laughs> yeah, why is the sphinx guarding this? <laughs> They're here because the Empire captured it and brought it here so you could fight it. Right. <laughs> right now. <laughs> When I am planning an arena battle, I just love to leaf through the monster manual, right? And and just because, like, you know, when you're putting together a campaign, I think lots of times you're like, oh, what's going to be an amazing set piece? Oh, I know like 13 levels from now. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but they're totally going to like fight three dragons on a cliff and it's going to be amazing. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that's coming in here somewhere. But, you know, not all of these scenarios end up finding fruition in your campaign. This is an opportunity to be like, wait, wait a minute. I remember all this cool stuff that I was going to do. And like, I was able to do most of it, but I never quite got to the Hydra encounter. Oh, come on. We fought a T-Rex with tentacles. I know. It had pipe cleaners on the mini. (laughs) I had that plan from the beginning. I definitely wanted that to happen. (laughs) I was very happy about that. Your arena battle happened actually pretty early on in the, in the campaign. Yeah, in Stormreach, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was an arena battle as well, if you think about it. Yeah, that's true. Couldn't leave. Couldn't yeah. leave the clearing. Unless you want to get hit with lightning. So speaking of can't leave the clearing unless you want to get smashed with lightning. <laughs> <laughs> so what makes arena battles helpful is that there's very clear parameters, right? Mm-hmm. There's an area that you have to stay within. You know what you have to do to get out of it. Generally, you got to kill things. Yeah, or whatever it is, your players typically know what is expected of them, right? Get through this battle. Uh, Kill the other team. Go capture their flag. Or, you know, if you're Harry Potter, like, it doesn't matter how you do it. 
get around the dragon and get the egg. Mm-hmm. You know, if it means like summoning your broom from like the other side of the the forest from the castle, that's fine. Just get the egg. <laughs> that's funny. When you said capture the flag, I was thinking capture the snitch. Because that's basically it's the basically same thing. yeah it's yeah. arena battle yeah <laughs> totally yeah it also gives you a way as you mentioned before that you know you'll get to reset your abilities so you can spend them you know in a, a lot of games like D anD D where you've got a, an element of resource management your resources in the arena are usually fixed you're going to rest at the end of it so you'll get them back but it's not like you've got potions and wands and scrolls and all these types of things usually you've got just the equipment that's available and you use everything at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even if there isn't a hard reset on abilities after every single battle, the that will likely be clear to the players, you know, whatever is going to happen afterward. Oh, we know that, like, this is a, a gauntlet and we have to fight two battles in a row and then we get to rest. Yeah, that's yeah. a mean trick to play. <laughs> Can't imagine myself ever doing that. <laughs> I mean, remember, most of these are run by, like, Caesar, mm-hmm. who is fickle, if nothing else. <laughs> I saw Gladiator. <laughs> And the enemies that you're fighting in an arena are often unthinking or they have obvious goals, right? They're going to eat you or they're going to kill you or they're going to try to win their freedom. It's not necessary to have a ton of nuance in your interactions with your enemies, at least while you're on the floor of the arena and actually duking it out. You can just sort of let your players go, all right, let's get tactical and just smash these people. You can also throw in deadly puzzles that everyone is motivated to figure out. You know, oh, wait, there's scythe blades all over the floor of the arena. Well, even the enemies want to figure out exactly what the pattern is, and maybe they're yelling it back and forth to each other as well. This is a really good time for mechanical puzzles, you know, traps that give advantages in the arena. Levers and, you know, posts that are moving up and down and things like that. Yeah, you can also treat it as like a tactical puzzle. Right, like if if you're overmatched in the arena, you only have the things available to you. You need to work as a team to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Or in a battle royale, uh, there are thirteen participants, but only one is going to leave. Okay, who do you team up with first? Do right. you, or do you just run and hide? Okay, that's the plot of the Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> you can also throw in lots of what if scenarios. You know, what if all you have to fight with is a short sword and a net? Well, you throw away the net because it's useless. Yep, don't <laughs> use the net. <laughs> But what if two or three of you are chained together? What if the emperor comes out and stabs you with a poison dagger and you have to fight while you're poisoned? Mm. Sounds fun. What if, what if that happens? Yeah. I, w- I must suck. Yeah. <laughs> what a plot twist. <laughs> and it's a great opportunity to introduce moral quandaries. What would these characters do in order to win their freedom? Or what would they do if forced to do it? You know, fight or die. Yeah, I mean, you always have to think about what comes after the arena too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you willing to do in the arena and how do you feel about it afterwards? So are you willing to kill other prisoners, right? right. Or People who are innocent just like you and were also kidnapped. Right, and, and people who probably can't defend themselves as capably as you can. Right, uh, or, or are you going to be Spartacus and lead a revolt? Right, you're going to, you know, train your friends and found an assassin academy. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great time to have role play between the battles. So, you know, people who have maybe been here longer and, you know, know the rules, they can explain it to your party members, but they can also, you know, give a lot of characterization. You know, here's why we're here. Maybe here's why you are here. 
even if people aren't prisoners, you know, in Stormreach, uh, a lot of the gladiators weren't prisoners. They'd actually, they're, they were part of a, a gladiatorial guild because mm. they were, you know, there to make money. Yep. You know, but why is that? Why did, why would someone choose this life? Yeah. Yeah. You can also get a little bit into like the wrestling aspect, like the kayfabe, <laughs> you know, where, where you've got characters that are being cheered for by the fans that, that actual people are playing. Hmm. So if you're planning an arena battle, you've got to first think about your format. How many battles are there going to be? One. Is, is there going to be a tournament structure? Nope. Winner take all. <laughs> I don't know that that's so much an arena battle. That's just a battle. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> In an arena. I don't... The uh, the adversary will be a, uh, a bullet. Tarask. Oh, oh I, are you 13-year-old Shane again? Yep. <laughs> All right, what's the exit condition? Kill the, bu- the kill the bullet. The bullet yeah. eats you. <laughs> I don't, I don't exit condition. There is no exit condition. You get TPK. Uh, you no, know, you you crawl out of the tunnel that it dug. Come on. Oh yeah, man. Work. The thing is, almost anything goes. Like decide for yourself. Uh, Caesar plans crazy games. He's not really known for logical consistency. Yeah, they don't even have to be consistent with him. You know, feel free to just change the rules on the fly if it makes it more fun for the players too. Yeah, you know, like they're not in charge here. That's the whole point of the arena battle. So you can feel free to throw a wrench in any type of plans. Yeah, it's exactly what the Romans did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll want to think about what kind of companions your players have in the arena, and that's friends and enemies. You know, are the PCs all going to be on the same side? Are they even going to be in the same battles or will some be fighting while others have to spectate? Yeah, that's one where I would I would almost always try and put them in the same battle. So, or at but least, not necessarily on the same side. That's fine, yeah. But it would just be so hard to have to sit and watch five combats play out mm. until you get your chance, you know? So just, just think of how many players you have and, and what are the players going to be doing if they're not fighting. I've seen it where only one person fights, and that's the only battle, but, you know, it's sort of like a winner-take-all, like they fight for the party, and then people on the sidelines can use abilities that they are capable of using from the sidelines. Does that oh, make sense? Cool. So that's great for the spellcasters. <laughs> well, you can't, like, fling a spell, but you could, I mean, if you have, like, a ranged healing or, like, a bardic inspiration or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you can basically, like... You can cheat. Yeah. I mean, what could you reasonably do? You could shout encouragement from the sidelines, mm-hmm. you know, or like subtly, quietly cast a spell that like, you know, gives them the wisdom of an owl. Seems Which is handy. super helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a cat's grace next time. <laughs> oh, oh, I always forget. When you're planning the battles, you want to come up with a central conceit for each individual battle. Like each one should have something unique or cool about it. You know, if, if you're going to put your party through a series of like three to five battles uh, in one session every single one needs to be different and awesome mm-hmm. so this one is the dragon fight and then this one is going to be the tag team event and then this is the one where we, i throw in prisoners from their like, hometown and then give the audience crossbows <laughs> what <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's a storm reach thing is it? Yeah, yeah. They put in like defenseless prisoners, and then like it's bring your crossbow to the arena day. Oh, that's fun. It's yeah. like a minor league baseball promotion. Yeah, it totally <laughs> is. Um, th- that happened in um, the Morning Glory campaign. It was uh, Syrian prisoners. Uh, see, I wasn't yeah. part of the campaign. Right, yet. you you yeah. were just about to come in, and then yeah, Calic was like, "No, my people." It was good. Killed him. Yeah. I mean, he he was defending them. Oh. I think he saved a good half of them. 
the, the other half got pincushioned. Good for him. Yeah. And each one of those battles might have uh, different consequences or, or win conditions. So let's talk about actually running it at the table. Yeah, remember that the arena is a closed system, so the environment does whatever you need it to do. Like uh, like you said earlier, if something needs to happen to like keep the battle going or speed it up or make it more fun or interesting, like that just happens. Just do that. Yeah, like, you know, a drum rings out and then the door opens and six more gladiators charge in. Yeah. Like, hey, sucks to be you. <laughs> Wave two. Right? Trap doors open and out come saber-toothed tigers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or maybe like the crowd decides to focus fire their crossbows on the enemies, you mm-hmm. know, if things are going tough. Right. You know? And like this is, this is exactly what the Romans did. They're like, oh this is getting boring like the point of this entire battle is to distract everyone from our terrible leadership Mm -hmm. let's make it more interesting exactly so we've talked a little bit about different options for terrain it's important to consider this and and make it interesting because a flat sand floored arena is just not that exciting Mm -hmm. and since generally the location doesn't change significantly especially if you're hosting multiple battles you want to think about ways to spice it up yeah you know you see those pictures of the ruins of the Colosseum, and it looks like there's just a network of tunnels where there should be a floor it's because there was a network of tunnels yeah. beneath the floor right. so that they could move stuff like it was it was a stage yep and so it's cool if you can like you know on initiative 15 of every round something changes about the environment something like that that's it's a great way because it, it gives that ticking timer of mm-hmm. Okay, we know to expect something, but we don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, even before like you feel like you need to step in, just like have something happen. Yeah, just roll a die. Yeah. Even if you don't do anything, just roll the die behind the screen and then it's like, "Oh, okay, cool." Right. Moving yeah. on. Can you uh can you put arena on the initiative counter? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that's good. And while you're running the encounter make sure that you encourage inventiveness in your players and a part of that is going to be the resources that they're given or the resources that they're not allowed to have but if they pull sand out of their pocket like go for it you know like make up how the pocket sand attack is going to be played out mechanically Mm -hmm. yeah you can also do this early on in a fight with a weak enemy do it to the players Mm -hmm. to kind of encourage them to be creative like oh you saw this guy grab a handful of sand off the floor and throw it in your face make a deck safe (laughs) yeah you want them to know that they really need to work with what they've got right of course arena battles do pose a few challenges first off of course there's the pvp it can be fun for a short time but you probably want to at least have in mind a way for the players to get out of it we talked before maybe like they refuse to do it and they stage some sort of revolt but maybe it's just that as soon as anyone falls enemy pc or whomever medics run out like and take the fallen away on a stretcher and then patch them back up because it's more fun for the audience if they have to get back out there and fight yeah and and, you know it's an investment yeah (laughs) like you don't want to damage the merchandise too bad right maybe they drag you out stuff you full of healing potions and send you right back out there yeah there can also be longer term impacts here with pvp with certain player profiles if you're going to be frustrated that you don't have the king of pvp character as a player putting that to the test in an arena might be a negative outcome mm, mm-hmm. right you might have your munchkin or your rules lawyer really going nuts uh you know min maxing and that sort of thing 
Yeah, so excited to take down the entire party. Yeah, yeah. and whoever comes out on top, right, might not be so inclined to go along with the party anymore. You know, they, they might feel like they get a little more say because they could just kill everybody, right? So you, you just need to make sure that your players can handle that type of conflict at the table, even if uh, you know, the characters can't. Right. If they can't, then just have everyone on the same side. Right. Keep in mind, though, if you do separate the party, they are, by design, less than the individual parts that make up the entire party. Yep. They're stronger together. They are. Yeah. So the healer may have a bunch of cure spells, but they aren't going to be able to heal themselves fast enough if there isn't a tank to take the damage or a damage dealer to end the threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, your striker is going to die, but they might win first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, your tank might be relying on added durability from a healer, so if you're on separate teams. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, someone to actually kill them. Right. So, like, they can't stand there and take the, the damage forever. Right. Your mage is going to get geeked. Like, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be a solo mage. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unless you're a lore master, then you'll be fine. <laughs> What spell should I use for this? How about any of them? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, as always with resource management, if you're a glass cannon, you know, if you've got a lot of daily powers or that type of thing where you can just use everything all up front and go supernova, you're going to be at an advantage in this type of scenario. So if you know you're getting a rest immediately after this fight, you're going to go all out and you're going to appear stronger than somebody who's kind of a solid grind character. Mm-hmm. And then also keep in mind, as we mentioned player profiles, some players are going to feel like it's a slog if they're just fighting back to back to back in a whole session. You know, if if there's not a chance for role play and character development or story development because of the way that you structured your arena battle, you're going to lose some of the players who are more interested in the narrative aspects, like the method actor or the storyteller. Yeah, so I would actually, I think three to five battles is probably good for an arena arc. I would maybe stretch it out over two sessions just so you have a lot of time to investigate, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, what happens, you know, in the pits in between the battles or at night, you know, yeah, people yeah. are binding their wounds. Yeah. Those interstitial scenes are critical to putting a story around it. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you're, you're dealing with like these tough brutes you've caught in a vulnerable moment. And that's, uh, I think a rare thing. You don't usually get that because, you know, they're usually dead by the time your party members can talk to them turns out so however things go in the arena you do want to tie in the events into the main story why did this even happen in the first place oh because gm's a jerk yes that's always the answer (laughs) no i mean you know punishment is a good one uh there, there could be a contact that you're trying to to make with somebody who's already a gladiator something like that Mm -hmm. and what happens because of this like assuming of course that your party has survived it do they win a prize like is it just money or maybe fame yeah you know now they are known as oh wow the gladiatorial champions right yeah (laughs) or yeah maybe information from the the underground or the common people just feel like they trust them now because like you know what it's like to just get your teeth kicked in right right (laughs) yeah not just the information from the underground though keep in mind that in a lot of societies it was the nobility who owned the stables of gladiators. Mm-hmm. Even if they were free men, they worked for nobles who, you know, kind of managed them like horses. Mm-hmm. I also like the trope of 
at like the end of every year like the gladiatorial champion like the one person who's like made it through undefeated in the coliseum uh, has the honor of like shaking the emperor's hand yeah which gets you close <laughs> enough to murder him yeah <laughs> <laughs> or i mean you've also got the you know personal connections too right maybe somebody who's close to a party member is uh, a slave in the slave pits who's been assigned to fight mm -hmm. in the arena and they're trying to protect that person right trying to make sure that person survives along with the party right so maybe that's why the party basically sold themselves into gladiatorial combat yeah. in the first place <laughs> exactly yeah you know, i gotta make sure like i'm chained to, up to my old buddy right <laughs> but then you've got to like undersell your abilities yeah <laughs> you don't want to get kicked out too soon and have him in there fighting alone <laughs> It's cool. Like, this is a small town, man. Like, we're totally going to win this. We're going to get them out of there. And then, oh, wait. When did they get dragons? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been hatching them from eggs. It's <laughs> taken forever. So you can use this format or these ideas even if you don't necessarily want to run, quote, unquote, gladiatorial combat. This format works really well for all kinds of different sporting events. Maybe it's Blood Bowl. Maybe it's an actual sport. Yeah, or like, you know, danger racing. Yeah. I love that mm -hmm. in RPGs. The Olympics. Yeah, so many athletics checks. <laughs> Just over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe archery or ski shooting would be an attack roll. <laughs> yeah. My my bard is going to handle the floor routine. We're fine. <laughs> I actually took tool proficiency ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> this is, oh my God, this is going to be, this is coming so handy. I'm so happy about this. I thought it was like a kinky sex thing. Now it's proving useful. <laughs> It also works really well as like an X-Men danger room, illusory type scenario, uh, or just like a, a test of your abilities. Mm -hmm. You know, can you survive this crazy gauntlet that I've put together? Right. Yeah. Are you ready to go on that mission to the asteroid to blow up the nuke to save the planet? You're obviously not. Armageddon didn't really have an arena battle. <laughs> <laughs> the arena of my heart. Right. So... I know we've used arena battles a couple times in the Morning Glory campaign, but but what are your favorite memories of arena battles in your home games? Mine was a fourth edition when, I think I've mentioned it before, we were all sort of like caught up in a, a flashback. So we were all seeing scenes from our own life while we were doing this battle. But like all of us, all of it was taking place on the same battle map. But everyone was seeing a different scene mm -hmm. from their own past. Yeah. So it was... So it was round by round we still went in the same order and like they were still positioned in the same way and interacting with each other but just the scene was described differently every like round to us like individually that was really cool yeah what about you oh it was definitely my my first tpk <laughs> my, my bulette battle <laughs> i learned so much from that do it every time yep <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I matched level one PCs against a, I don't know, CR3, probably, Bulette in third Bou edition. Boulet, I believe it is. It's not, it's not A. It's definitely at. It's E-T-T-E. -E. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? It's the sound of a burrowing Boulet. Whatever that is. All right. Well, we know we're losing at least one character, so it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. 
And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we have for you the Heathen Champion. Champion of what? Of combat? Uh, slash the old gods, the old ways. Ah, okay. Right. So the heathen, right? That That is a relative term. It is <laughs> yeah. one who does not practice our religion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the primary religion, wherever there you, you are. So the heathen champion is someone who is from far away who has been uh, who has either journeyed to or has been brought to unfamiliar lands and now uh, proves through strength of arm that their ways are better than the likely decadent ways of the environment they're currently stuck in gonna go out on a limb here Uh uh-huh guess we got some barbarian yeah yeah we got some barb okay Mm -hmm. what else do we have the build is Totem Barbarian 6, Devotion Paladin 11, Champion Fighter 3. All right. So Barbarian is going to get us Barbarian Rage, Reckless Attack. I love for an, someone who fights in the arena. It's uh, the Barbarian feature that we rarely ever talk about, Trap Sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, Barbarian for damage resistance, because why wouldn't you do that? Very nice. Yeah. With Paladin, you've got high charisma, so you've got leadership capabilities. You've got that protective aura. Obviously, you've got smites, so you're... Well, you're not a glass cannon, right? You're a cannon. You're an iron cannon. You're an iron cannon, yeah. Yeah. You get some minor healing, and then by level 11, you've got that extra D8 radiant damage on every single hit. Yeah, and what's nice, remember, while raging, you can't cast spells, but you can activate your smite ability. That's right. You're definitely not casting or concentrating on a spell. And then Fighter 3, uh, Champion Fighter, is going to give us an expanded crit range, so we'll crit it on a 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. It'll also give Action Surge or Second Wind. So some more sustainability and some more burst. Mm-hmm. And with that crit range combined with Reckless Attack, you're going to have actually a really nice chance of landing a crit and then going, well, I smite. Yep. So it's a relatively simple build. The play style, obviously, is uh, Rage and Smash Everything. Mm-hmm. Yep, just get uh, get worked up for your heathen god and then go wreck. That's right. Um, maybe even call allies to yourself because if they hang out within 10 feet of you, they get quite a nice boost to saving throws. Yeah. Maybe you show them that, you know, there's plenty of room under the umbrella of Krom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever an umbrella is. <laughs> Whatever a Krom is. <laughs> he poses the riddle of steel. I, I don't know that reference. That's Conan. All right, so what is your idea for your heathen barbarian? So hear me out. Maybe this is getting a little dark. My heathen champion uh, was kidnapped from her home when she was on a sacred pilgrimage with several of the elders of her tribe. So they're much older, more frail, very wise. Uh, and she was traveling along with them as a protector. But failed in her duty um, all of them were captured uh, by the empire and brought back to the capital sort of like um, like a human menagerie like ah ha ha look at these weirdos 
and then they get tired of them. They're like, well, now you're going to fight to death in the pits because that's what we do. Now, the elders being wise know that there's no way that they're going to actually survive the like brutal conditions of the gladiatorial arena. Like they're, they're just going to get murdered and it's going to be unpleasant. However, it's possible that she, their champion, can survive and maybe even bring some of the strength of the, the old gods to these decadent people. So the elders kill themselves. They sacrifice themselves to become totem spirits for oh. for this champion so that they can guide her. So instead of an animal spirit, like she doesn't see a bear when she rages and like like that it gives her the like resistance to damage. She sees like one of the the elders, the spirit of the elders like giving her guidance or like, you know, blessing her in some manner. Oh, interesting. I also like that uh, totem barbarians get the, uh, I think, speak with beasts ritual. And I would just like ask that, you know, they could also use it so that they could sort of commune with these elder spirits as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. What about your heathen champion? So mine is actually a warlock. Really? Mm-hmm. But rather than making a pact with like a fae or a great old one, some some incredibly powerful being, right? It's It's a a lesser or or at least a more diffuse being something something like nature itself i like this yeah um or like uh you know like an animal spirit kind of Mm -hmm. uh warlock and and so Uh, a bear maybe huh funny how that works (laughs) uh yeah so it would be like the great bear right Mm -hmm. um rather than seeing it as a barbarian and a, and a paladin and a fighter right it's it's all just levels of how being a warlock of this less magical and more practical kind of entity invest power in its pact so like a blade pact almost yeah yeah yeah. but you know obviously it would be completely different from any civilized warlock (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean you made packs with a crazy ancient demon (laughs) like why would you do that i I am a supplicant of the great bear. Right. Have you considered bear? Yeah. <laughs> bear my, doesn't eat your soul later. Yeah. <laughs> my brother, he made a pact with salmon. <laughs> my brother does not walk this earth any longer. <laughs> He's a very simple man. Yeah. He was delicious. He was always swimming upstream. <laughs> my cousin, Eagle. Yeah. My nephew, Wolf. (laughs) All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are continuing our series on playing non-human characters with halflings. And in the character creation forge? We're building the Fistidin. Well, that's it for episode 83 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Oh, did you read that crazy pronunciation guide from Reddit that just completely ignored all phonetic convention? Maybe. How do you pronounce I U Z? I don't know. I just went with you when we did the Greyhawk episode. Oh. <laughs> You're like, I is. And I was like, sure. <laughs> Why not?
Any French speakers want to? No, it's definitely it's, use. It's Bule or it's Bulet. Damn it, I quit. <laughs> it's Bule like souffle because <laughs> they're spelled exactly spelled the same. G as in Robert Goulet. <laughs> oh, as in oh my God, is that Robert Goulet?